make sure the levels are okay. Is it a jingle? No, it's <laughs> it's just something my old co-host used to do, and I picked it up. He wants to provide drugs. I like it. Please don't. Um, <clears throat> okay, now I have to do it again. Five, four, three, two, one. And I'm waiting for Rosemary to stop doing whatever it is. Hello, welcome to Hacks. This is a tech podcast. My name is Simon. I'm joined by Rosemary. Hi. Morale. Hello. And Rob. Hi. Hooray. This week, here's the thing for you people at home. Uh, If you've never done a podcast before, uh, you don't know what a gift a movie episode is. Because all that your co-hosts have to do is watch a movie... (laughs) And then come to the studio, a.k.a. their respective apartments, and watch it. And then just show up. They have just one job. It's so easy to do. Just go to a movie theater. You just have to sit there. You can go on a Tuesday when it's half price. And just show up for the, for the recording. So it's, I'm just glad that we could all just come together. And I'm sorry, Morale, did you have something to say? Look, okay, here's the thing. You know, life today in 2018, uh-huh. it's... It's complicated stuff. Some of mm-hmm. us wear many hats, you know, in our daily lives. <laughs> I intended to go see this movie. And you intended to, and you did, right? That's what happened? Good story. Yes, I did see the movie. Um, let's just say that I, I saw some of it. Um, <laughs> so you watched the trailer is what you're saying. I watched it at least five times to try to, <laughs> <laughs> to surmise what could happen in the the bits that were stitched over, you know, like the, the edited out stuff. Um, and then I looked at Rotten Tomatoes and I feel like that gave me like a nice um, sense of the movie. And and really, I guess I want to call into question kind of, you know, w- what exactly does it mean to watch a movie today? <laughs> well, one is thing, one thing that go- people might say is that it means going to watch it. <laughs> But, like, you know, first of all, that's extremely ableist um, <laughs> and ocular-centric. Like, as someone who has a hard time seeing, um, sometimes going to a movie adds a lot of stress to, to my daily life. life. Yeah, okay, that's Yeah, cool. like, you know, it gets really dark in there, and then I can't see anything. And sometimes if you sit too close to the screen, the picture moves too fast for your eye to track it. Right, that's and, a problem. You know, it's so cold in there. and you know what really this is the fault of everyone involved with this podcast because while a movie episode is easy it is also scraping the bottom of the barrel and this is episode two yeah thank you thank you rob look as we've already said we're the accelerationist podcast it would be out of character if we didn't accelerate straight to the lowest (laughs) podcast episode um so the the movie that I wanted to talk about today is a, a, a little motion picture called Unfriended Dark Web, which, as of the time this episode will be published, uh, has been out for about a month and a half. So, really? Yeah. Um, well, it was already a few weeks, and plus, it, anyway, it's a whole thing. I really think you should stop. Oh, God. I think that is real. Guys, that's what they're trading. Trade what? All those videos. We have to do something. We have to do it now. 
So, uh, we're going to be spoiling the film for anyone who is still planning on watching it. For most people, it's already going to be out of theaters. So hopefully, plenty of time has passed, and that won't be an issue. It's, I don't really consider it a movie you can spoil anyway. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I'm not saying that even to, to diss it, really. Um, it's just, uh, the, the thing about these movies is it's in the watching, and it's in the, the aesthetic. Not so much in the plot and characters. Um, so yes, morale was not able to watch the film, um, regrettably, but, uh, morale, please feel free to chime in with questions, concerns, um, things we may not have explained properly. Um, if I, if have, it, I have a review of the film. <laughs> oh, do you? <laughs> uh, well, please regale us. Well, I'll wait till, you know, it's appropriate to discuss, but yeah, I have okay. thoughts on so, the one minute and 50 seconds that I watched. <laughs> So uh, the reason I thought it was um, germane to this podcast is the, the, the basic premise of these unfriended movies, there's now two of them, um, is the entirety of these films takes place on a within the confines of a computer screen. So all the drama mostly happens in Skype windows uh, as well as browser windows. Uh, in this second film, it gets expanded to include um, character relationships that are kind of fleshed out via a Spotify playlist or sort of other app-based interactions. The um, first film had a supernatural bent uh, that this second one doesn't really have. It's a very different movie, but also sort of worth watching in its own way. Um, This second one I thought would be fun to talk about because it touches on a lot of theoretically hot-button sort of tech issues in a fairly well-integrated way, I thought. I should just put my cards out like on the table right now and say as a fan of genre films – um, I actually just really dug the movie. I thought it was very well paced um, for a for a horror movie, very well acted. Which, for reasons that I will get into later, I think that the way that it it tries to be current and topical is sometimes a little bit clumsy. But I think it's mostly pretty smartly pretty smartly constructed in terms of getting the kills in the requisite kills that you need for a horror film, and the way that it manages to do that. I thought it was interesting that it was a lot less gory and violent than the first one is. Um, It was, like, quite restrained in its violence. Um, But the main thing that I thought was interesting about it, and I would love to hear uh, Rob and uh, and Rosemary chime in on, is uh, my my big thesis about it, and then I promise I'll stop talking for a bit, is I thought it was a really – it was a good movie about um, the way being very online makes you think and process stuff um, the way that the more online you are, the less the, the less likely you are to take things uh, seriously and truthfully, even when they are true, or to, to be a less um, to be less good at distinguishing uh, truth from bullshit, um, even though it feels like uh, it should be the opposite almost, um, which uh, manifests in the movie in an interesting way. Uh, but I don't know do, do, when as I say those words, uh, Rosemary, Rosemary and Rob, do do, do you do, do you think I'm full of shit, or do you think there's something there? I think that that's a very good observation, Simon. But my the big problem I had with the film this is major spoiler, I think, um, is it's this absolute omniscience of the villains, and so that. That uh, no matter what the the people you are watching on screen do, to they are outwitted not only uh, strategically but in time and space. So uh, one of them is sent out 
Anyways, what, what, where were they going? They're going to try and prevent something. See, it's already it's that kind of move. We kind of forget. <laughs> Anyways, how how they they get pushed off a subway platform? So it's far far too much. Like this is the the logic of the internet taken to its extreme. Like the internet collapses t- uh, space and time uh, to to the extent that uh, that if if you got it in for someone, you can actually go to where they are on a subway platform and push them in front of a, a subway train. So that's that's actually the big. Uh, conceptual flaw I find in the movie that you're, like that's the area where you have to have the most uh, suspension of disbelief mm-hmm. for sure yeah definitely I mean there there are huge contrivances the subway platform the jumping off the roof that the very end I'm not sure this movie by the way we need to mention was released with two different endings so we have not all seen the same ending but um, in in one of them a guy is run down by a van on the street that comes pretty much literally out of nowhere you know so uh i i do love your analysis that um you know the internet collapses space and time such that you can like hate someone and then reach out and ruin their lives instantly right like this this movie was like an embodiment of that in in a lot of um the the swatting scene um was i think the the clearest example right um incredibly graphic and i'm surprised simon to actually hear you say that you felt that this movie was restrained um i felt that it sort of like there were especially early in the movie some like emotional notes that it hit but like there is a real um exploitative aspect to um the third act of the film uh you know it's it's not so much these like storylines coming due as just like how are we going to uh shock the audience in ways that I, I should clarify, like, the first movie has someone sticking their hand in a blender. Like, it's... Okay, fair it, enough. Yeah. Like, there's no gore, really, in in this one, other than a little bit of... There's a there's a small scene of it, like, late in the film. Um, but it's it's funny that you, you're complaining about um, the, sort of the need to suspend your disbelief uh, a lot, Rosemary, because I think that's sort of, that's sort of what I liked about it. Like, it's, it's sort of like this movie... The way things work in this movie, it's like QAnon logic. It's like they the, the the way things happen the way they're able to orchestrate things to this like ultra minute degree it really is like what if q was right <laughs> and yeah. it's like that yeah. level of of like person micromanagement and i thought that was an interesting thing to dramatize via um via this medium really the main thing that i i liked i mean rob you already pointed out the most um the best sequence in the movie really which is the swatting sequence cuz that is a thing that happens like not in quite this way i mean in the movie um i guess i should all, i should take a moment to explain for anyone who doesn't feel like they're going to to watch it the first movie has this supernatural bent but the second one is really based on these um this cabal of evil one percenters um who oh uh, fuck really yeah That's um dumb. <laughs> uh, i think you mean it's real <laughs> <laughs> who basically they play the it's they have this sadistic game where they find a group of people to torment and uh, and pick off over the course of a night via various means um morale yes so it's like the movie rat race but like evil and online it's like rat race with murder yeah yeah, yeah. oh wow <laughs> so uh for anyone who doesn't know what the term swatting means um this is a thing that has happened in IRL, um, where uh, people will 
uh, try to, will deliberately try to get um, the cops called on someone in real life and uh, and to try to make it seem like something's really serious so that actually an actual SWAT team will come to someone's house and people have gotten killed. This is a real thing. Usually it happens over uh, gaming. Usually it ha- it's like a, I don't know, a Fortnite. I don't game. I should get that out of the way. I'm not a game person. There's no gamers here. Sorry. There's- are we Are we sure? <laughs> Morale, are you there, a gamer? There, there are past gamers here, reformed gamers. Um, yeah, I mean, usually I, when it comes to gaming, it's it's uh, someone committing the crime of like being a woman in a game uh, is how I've heard it told. Um, Rob the Woman Defender has logged the fuck on. Fuck off. <laughs> I'm not even going to rise to that, Simon. Uh, but I do, yeah, I mean, it's it's real, right? And Yeah, it is. You know, the, really... I did think that this movie is, and the first one to a lesser extent, is remarkable in that, you know, you are viewing everything through this dispassionate eye, right? Just a webcam. You know, there's no swelling music. There's no, like, close-up on the guy as the police are pulling the gun. Like, it's it's all right there in front of you in, like, very mm-hmm. flat lighting, um, meant to be realistic. It's way over the top. But. Right. The the heightened aspect comes with the, the what, what these uh, hackers are able to do where... Um, they're able to um, – they, they do the initial thing. Of, so the character who gets swatted is essentially like he has this Alex Jones-style set of YouTube videos. And what they do is they make a quick supercut from his videos where it sounds like he's saying something crazy and threatening. And they call into the cops with it. And then when the cops show up, they hack into his smart speaker and play the sound of a shotgun cocking. <laughs> And then he gets ventilated. Morale, you're sort of you're making a, an evil grin, but it really is like a great moment of exploitation cinema, I think. But I guess, I mean, so when I watched the movie, the version I saw, which <laughs> had a different ending <laughs> together, um, the two minutes that I saw, I guess one of the things that kind of struck me, and I'd, I'd love to hear your, your hot takes on this. Um, I saw the trailer and immediately kind of envisioned what like my parents would think of this film. (laughs) And I thought, you know, like this is just going to lead to more anxiety about the internet. Like, Oh no, like you, you gotta be careful. You can't use your webcam or go on Skype. I mean, there, there are a few other things that kind of came up. Like the immediate reaction I had as like the trailer loaded, um, was like, who the fuck plays Cards Against Humanity? Yes, thank you. Over Skype, like, Friday night. Hey, dudes. Hey, dudettes. Let's, like, get together. First of all, Cards Against Humanity is, like, so basic. It's like the Settlers of Catan of 2016. So let's move on. And then also, like, I mean, I consider you all important people in my life. But, like, please, like, defriend me. Unfriend me if we ever end up (laughs) Skyping on, like, so we can play shitty board games together. Like, I feel like when, like, you know, you might as well get swatted. I actually thought the use of Cards Against Humanity was really smart um, because, and this was, I, I think this was pointed out in Nick Pinkerton's review for, um, I think it was Film Comment. Editor's note, I meant reverse shot. Um, because Cards Against Humanity is played twice. The first time, it's early in the film and everyone's in high spirits. And it's pretty earnest, and it's like, ah, oh, we're having a laugh, and, you know, it's fine. But then they – later in the film, they know they're being watched, and they have to hold up, they think, the pretense of having a normal one. So then they have to play another game of Cards Against Humanity, and they're all just miserable and terrified. And it's very, very funny. That was actually good. Um 
Uh, Morel, did the trailer touch on the fact that everyone in the Skype call is a hashtag creator? <laughs> well, okay, so I, I did watch the trailer a number of times, and I, yeah, I got the sense that like it was this is supposed to kind of yeah be kind of a a bunch of like cool millennial. I hate yeah. that word, but a bunch of millennials who are like yeah they have like super expensive um, high end headphones, and then there's like the woman with the studio in the back, right? And they're just like she's a DJ. Well, yeah, obviously. So I thought it maybe a DJ producer, right? Um, and it was like perfectly diverse. I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't watch the film, but I'm sure like there were different vectors of identity. Like, you know, it was like an intersectional wet dream. Did they, did they touch on the the disability? No, the no, trailer? no. Is I, that a part of it? Oh, is there like a representation of disability in it we too? We should clarify that. So the main relationship in the film belongs to our white guy lead um, and his uh, Latinx uh, girlfriend who is also deaf. And the major theme of the movie is communication, obviously. Right, and yeah. um, the, the the premise is they're having these relationship troubles because uh, of, of communication problems. And he has built an app where he can type in a sentence and a video will generate of him doing the signs for whatever he's saying because his issue is that he, he can't sign fast enough. Like, he hasn't gotten there yet. His issue is that he hasn't tried hard enough. Well, yes, also. <laughs> as it is revealed. That's, that's, that's implicit. But hey, there's an app for it. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what? It, you don't have to change your, your normative lifestyle. Well, look, the, the movie Make judges... Make sure that disabled people fix their problems. Look, the movie well, judges him off. harshly enough, trust me. So th this theme of communication is very unsubtly threaded throughout the entire film. I mean, I guess the level on which the movie resonated with me most is I kept thinking about a thing that had happened to me on the internet a couple of days earlier. Whomst among you saw that clip on British television of um, Novara Media's Ash Sarkar... Uh, getting in an argument with Piers Morgan. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Um, no. <laughs> but essentially the gist is, you all know who Piers Morgan is, I assume. Mm -hmm. um, they were talking about Trump's impending visit to uh, Britain, and uh, Ash Sarkar, who is uh, a communist, was talking about how you know, everything bad the Trump regime was doing, and Piers Morgan interrupts in his boorish fashion to say, well, why didn't you protest Obama? Um, et cetera, et cetera, your hero Obama. And she has, and she cuts him off and says, I'm literally a communist, you idiot. Um, and does that a couple times. Everyone thought it was great. All the communists uh, cheered. That's all just a prelude to say that a couple days later, I got in a, an argument with someone on Twitter, um, with someone who was arguing that uh, Ash Sarkar, this person who argued with uh, Piers Morgan on, on the telly, was in fact a psyop. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so good. So she'd been planted there to, I guess, stage this argument instead of really. And uh, so I, I did a stupid thing, which is I got in the mentions of this person and was and was like, "You're dumb. That's that's not what's happening." Um, which is a classic mistake. People don't jump into into a into a person's mentions like that if you don't know them because it's not going to go well. And then they eventually said, "Well, it's not something I like. This is not something I I, I, I am arguing. It's just something I said." I'm like, what? <laughs> so then I started thinking, well, is this person a psyop? <laughs> like, what I'm what I'm trying to get at via this like roundabout way is like I feel like not a lot of time on th on the internet can lead you to these very strange places. You don't have to dig very far, mm -hmm. and I feel like in in its strange like uh, you know in it in its strange reality altering way, I feel like this movie kind of gets at 
the uncanniness of being very online, which is like all these people in the movie are extremely online. Everything we see in the movie is online. Um, the people who are who make up this like one percenter cult, whenever they show up on screen, they're able to to contort reality. Like they literally show up in this glitchy way where they're like suddenly the connection doesn't work properly. Uh, they're able to to whenever they use Facebook Messenger, the messages show up in black, and then. When just in the nick of time, they're able to erase the messages so that whoever is whoever else is around can't see that they ever happened, which I thought was actually a really cool visual. It's like in real time digital gaslighting, which, again, impossible, but like just close enough to something that you can that you could feasibly imagine happening to you. Um, that I thought it was it was actually quite effective. And the entire movie is kicked off by going down one of those rabbit holes, right? Like. I'm receiving strange uh, messages on Facebook Messenger. I better check this out. Like, um, you know, it's it's that spin on the classic horror movie of like, what's that sound? I'll go go open that door. Um, so yes, that is also a, a defining trait of being very online is getting ensnared uh, in these um, detective quests. Even the just before I as we started doing this, I was getting these Facebook messages from somebody I know professional arts professional and then he was sending he was like waving at me and saying hello he actually friended me and then he was waving at me and saying hello and I was saying there's no way that that's who that is like I I was saying like what what's going on because there's no way that that's that person no there's no way that person would be waving at me and uh, so I mean all you can do is not to uh, respond I suppose but I guess it had that it had that uncanny feeling because I thought, like, is it him or? So I think, I mean, this is interesting because uh, I haven't, I can empathize, I can sympathize with what you're all saying. Um, but my experience on the internet is so different. I think I'm like kind of that sector of the population that's like maybe a, a baby boomer or older uh, <laughs> or under eight, because even though I'm, I think, fairly well versed in, you know, digital technologies and like, understanding how the digital um, or digitality, if you really want to get nerdy, um, mediates like everyday experiences or even produces them to some extent. Um, I don't know, like I never get anywhere weird on the internet because I don't, <laughs> weird shit. Um, you know, the weirdest place I get is an like Amazon. And then I'm like really conflicted about whether or not I want to order something that I can't find on the island I live on. And also it's not going to get there for two weeks. Like those are the conundrum. That's the kind of conundrum I run into. Um, so it's kind of funny to to always kind of, these types of movies, when they come up, you know, it's always kind of very um, anxiety causing, like, oh no, you have to be careful. Like this is very uncanny. And you know, like, Rosemary, what you're saying totally kind of resonates for me. Like I've definitely had like weird encounters online. Um, but I always just kind of brush them off because I just think like, well, you know, I'm just going to stick to like my, the equivalent of like Nickelodeon experience of the internet, which is just to like, read stuff and not interact but I guess what I'm trying to say is that I think that uncanniness starts occurring very very quickly and devolves into kind of the scenarios that Simon was pointing out when you actually interact with people online which is something I don't tend to do right yeah the um another thing that's sort of noteworthy about the film and that I just wanted to get out there just not even thematically but just as a, a piece of filmmaking this was especially true of the first one I don't know how true it was of this one I didn't have a, a stopwatch out to keep track of um, shot lengths. But because you've got a lot of separate screens of people just acting on webcams, 
you've got a lot of takes that are 5, 10, 15 minutes long, which logistically what that means is you've got to rehearse a lot. So what I find interesting just as a piece of filmmaking is that the, the biggest problem with horror films, generally speaking, uh, is they're poorly written and they're poorly acted. Or they're poorly conceived in some basic way. And what I find really interesting about these movies, even though they're very cheaply made, um, and this one does feature a couple of actors I recognize from other things, unlike the first one, you sort of have to get good performances in because you, you have all this time beforehand where um, I believe for the first one, they actually ended up having to do feature-length takes with these actors. I don't think it was the case so much with this one just based on how the script is written and the way it's a little bit more chunked out. But the first one, they literally, they they were, I, I, I believe Beck Mambatov had them rehearsing for months at a time because they had to do, like, full run-throughs. Um, so as a result, you actually get really good performances. Like, even, you might find the uh, the characters a little artificial in terms of just, like, how diverse, like, sort of force, forcibly diverse they are. Like, they all, they're, they're in different countries and they have different interests, etc. But I, I felt like each individual character was relatively believable, if only because the performances were actually pretty natural. That's an interesting point, because, uh, you know, as I, I had a very different viewing experience than the rest of you. But uh, one thing I, I noted, one thing I actually made a note of um, was that um, the acting seemed to be, just from like the trailer at least, seemed to be pretty good. Like, everyone had good eye acting, for lack of a better way to put it. Like, he... Mm. So, I mean, that's pretty kind of, that's neat. And I should also say, like, even though it's really easy to kind of shit on a movie for, like, trying to check off all the boxes of, of diversity and kind of, you know, um, identity, uh, it Paul, if you want to put it that way, um, props for at least trying to kind of expand representation. So, I mean, it's easy to kind of uh, dismiss it, but I'm not yeah. intent and, to do that. Just so they even had a British person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the most depressed people of all. And, like, even more credit words do, like, they problematize, you know, the the issues around communication between, you know, the the character who is abled and and disabled, if you want to put it that. I'm sure, there's a more id Paul friendly way to put that, um, but um, like it is woven into the fabric of the film. It's not superficial. In fact, I believe that the in the ending that I didn't see, they even turn the guy's uh, app that he makes into a cruel punchline. Because at the end, uh, the the one percent hijacks his app and tells the deaf girlfriend to oh go to this abandoned warehouse um, because wow. we have our our reconvenion there, which makes perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, I I because I am also a sucker for genre cinema and you know the the like viewing these films in an incredibly mechanical way. I really appreciate. Uh, not just for the sort of representation aspect, but having a deaf character in the film because it gives you a lot more stuff to play with in, in terms of mm -hmm. the tricks of making a horror movie, um, similar to uh, the movie Hush, which I really enjoyed. This one didn't delve as deep, but it, it, it was very good. I appreciated it. Do we know if the actor was deaf? Very good question. I'll uh, look it up. One of you can look that up. I don't actually know. The actress, Stephanie Rogueras, is in fact deaf. For anyone else who's looking for some more deaf-themed horror, uh, Hush is a good one. And another recent one um, that I really recommend, not a horror film, but a great movie on its own, um, a Ukrainian film, I believe, called The Tribe, which is set in an institute for the deaf. Uh, every actor in it is actually deaf and uh, does some interesting and very, very gnarly stuff with with that comment with that premise and it is it it's an all uh it's an all unsubtitled 
film with just uh, it's not even in uh, like like English sign language. It's like Ukrainian sign language. So even if you're even if you know English sign language, you're out of luck. <laughs> That is that is a great pull, a brilliant movie because it really gets across the uh, emotive aspect of sign language. Um, you really don't need subtitles to follow along. I love that one. Anyway, that's my that's my plug for the week. The tribe. I want to talk. I want to get a couple more minutes in on on this before I get to our quick sort of second subject of the week. Um, the last thing that I wanted to sort of note, I thought was a nice touch, was um, there aren't a lot of jokes in the movie, but I did enjoy the early sequence of. Um, the main character trying to guess the password of the tainted laptop. Yeah, some, that was a good joke. There's some yeah. very, very quick jokes where he's trying to guess what, like, he throws in, like, Bernie 2020 and, like, a few other things. I thought that was, like, nice. Not super subtle, but just, but relatively subtle just for how quickly they went by. Um, I thought that was a nice touch. Anyway, the movie is Unfriended Dark Web. Um, I give it, uh, what's the on cinema uh, rating system? Bags of Popcorn. popcorn. I give it I give it a bag of popcorn. The other thing that I want to talk about today uh, in our limited remaining time is something that we mentioned uh, briefly on the last episode and that's the Ballad of Movie Pass. <laughs> for uh, any Canadian listeners who may not know what we're talking about, because uh, it never actually came to Canada, uh, I'm, I'm referring to it in the past tense. It's actually still around. It's still <laughs> uh In fact, they've just changed their business model, uh, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. Uh, but essentially, MoviePass, um, which I believe has been around for a couple of years, uh, their business model, such as it is, is it's a, it's a subscription service for seeing movies in theaters. You pay a flat rate of 10 bucks, and um, I believe it was 10 bucks American a month, and you can see however many movies you want, period. Uh, they did eventually introduce, like, surge pricing for certain films on opening weekend, etc. But, like, in theory, you could go see 15 movies in 4DX, IMAX, with a free drop of LSD or whatever it is they're doing now, um, <laughs> And you just you're still paying ten bucks, and MoviePass was paying for the full ticket price on their end, and there was, I mean, everyone knew if you were following it, um, people were just openly marveling at the fact that they could do this at all. Everyone was like, "How is this feasible? How is this possible?" And uh, it turns out that it isn't really. I mean, <laughs> well, I guess they had they had a really long term game plan to. The, the, the data they would collect would be would be all, the ultimate revenue yeah. source. Yeah, so the, the the basic business model appears to be uh, get a custom one get a customer base, two gather data, three yeah. question mark question mark question mark four profit. Um, yeah. The problem ended up somewhere between two and three. There's a great article in New York Times uh, from about a month ago, a month and a half ago, called uh, The Entire Economy is MoviePass Now. Um, and the, the basic premise is, like, this is now, this is the new current, like, VC-facing model of, of startups where you have, you, you're disrupting an existing sector in a way that doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense, but it's new <laughs> and... It's innovative, and that's enough to uh, to to get people behind you. How do we feel? I mean, do we do we think that's true? How do we feel about what 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 is what does the saga of MoviePass have to teach us? 
if anything. I, I think, um, you know, the, the growth stage of these VC-backed companies is a great time to take advantage of VC goodwill. Um, you know, the, the worst part about the MoviePass saga for me is that I never got to try it. Um, the best part about ordering from Uber or Uber Eats is that they gave me a free ride and a free meal the first time that I used it. Um, I think that, you know, it's, it's, the bill is going to come due for real people, not just employees of these companies and the owners (laughs) of these companies. Um, when, you know, the services that we like rely on for things more than convenience, start taking up the growth at all costs business model. Um, but for now, it's going to be a wild ride. Maybe next month, uh, our old friend Wealth Simple will offer $100 in free investments for signing up. I'm all for it. I mean, I think a really easy cursory take on it is that this is just the financialization of everything, right? Everything is just essentially kind of being trading on kind of uh, future claims to things, so, you know, whether that's growth or something else. Um, and sure, you could position this as like just another shift in, in neoliberalization. Um, I don't know if that's the case. I really kind of wonder if there's some kind of deeper connection to um, not just ubiquitous computing, but like kind of a slow creep of digital experiences um, and mediation. And, you know, in our present moment, I think there, there are some connections. Like, I think you're seeing kind of a different modality of capitalism emerge. Um, that maybe requires a little more creative thinking if we're going to actually combat it or even interrogate it. Um, but I think, you know, much like uh, other crises, they're hard to kind of identify. Uh, it's, it's hard to kind of interrogate the present moment, right, because you're in it. Um, so I think there's a lot to learn. I don't know, if, like Rob says, I mean, sure, there's kind of the, you can intellectualize something and then you can also um, still be a walking contradiction and, you know, partake in kind of the consumerism that kind of goes with it. And I think the space between those two kind of um, interactions with it is growing. And that's where maybe kind of crisis lies or maybe not. I, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting because it's um, what does it mean that uh, that we're all willing to go and watch movies 24-7? I mean, yeah, I, I agree with Rob. It's really too bad that, that um, MoviePass didn't come here because I've definitely been on that. Yeah. That was the thing that really struck me about MoviePass. As someone who wrote about film and like podcasted about film for a long time, um, is like there was all this debate about well, movies or television. What what is the art form that engages people? Uh, what's going to win out? As though one has to win over the other. Um, what makes me sad about MoviePass in terms of its decline now? They, they they have changed their model so that now you're paying a flat rate and you can see three movies a month. I believe that's what they're doing, um, which is still a savings, uh, but it's not. I mean, people were seeing a movie every day, so it's a little bit different. Someone on Twitter was saying, oh, the new MoviePass model is is you pay $16. I guess it's $16 in the States now for one movie. And then when you go see another one, you pay another $16. (laughs) 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 Um, What what makes me sad is that um, MoviePass revealed that there are people out there who really wanted to go see a lot of movies and they wanted to yeah. in- engage with the arts. And by the way, like they weren't only signed up with chain theaters. They were hooked up with uh, a lot of independent cinemas too. So people were seeing classics. People were seeing foreign films. People were seeing documentaries. Like not, They weren't all going to see Infinity War. A lot of them were going to see Infinity War. But 
um, there's all these people who were just priced out, and then suddenly they had access, and now they don't. And I, but and yet everyone knew that it was just a weird freak ride they were on, and they just didn't know when it was gonna it was gonna elapse. Like that's what's new to me. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely kind of. Do you think? But what? Okay, it's pretty much Netflix, but like with physical, like actual movie yeah. theaters, right? So I mean, sure. you got to wonder. You know, it's a noble attempt to kind of bring movies to the people. Um, but then, you know, here you have this kind of corollary where, you know, Netflix is essentially kind of dominating the market to the point where they're like busting out productions that are super expensive and like appealing to essentially kind of a global market. Like how does, yeah, is it kind of the the physicality of it that, that makes it fail? I don't know, but yeah, how does Netflix win out and MoviePass not win out, I guess? Well, it's interesting, right? Because at in its dying uh, gasps, MoviePass has now tried to. Well, I'm sure they started it beforehand, but something that has certainly not helped them is um, financing and releasing movies themselves. So the same way that uh, Netflix found a path to health through um, uh, releasing its own content, MoviePass has now tried to do the same thing. Didn't they release something or are going to release something that's like pretty high profile, like a Denzel Washington movie or something, Simon? Do you know? I don't know about what they're planning to release. I do know that their first production in terms of something they actually funded and helped uh, distribute was the uh, John Travolta starring John Gotti biopic. I'm so proud of you. You should be running your own crew now. Mr. Gotti, are you the head of the Gambino crime family? The head of my family. Mrs. Gotti, do you know what your husband does for a living? He provides. John's getting too much press. That can't go unchecked. It was meant for you. Uh, which was apparently, like, legendarily terrible. Yeah, I mean, Netflix's production budget is now in the billions, like, mm-hmm. which is obscene and, and absurd, especially if you've seen any Netflix original programming or movies, because it's really, they have a lot of money and none of it is spent on quality control. Whew. The other thing I find fascinating about this roller coaster that MoviePass uh, represented is that there are all kinds of major tech companies that don't make money. Uh, and people yeah, were quick, exactly. people were quick to note that you know what MoviePass lost in a year, Uber loses every twelve days or something. Yeah. Um, and people actually liked MoviePass. Yeah. It doesn't seem right that we 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 still have Uber, and as other people have pointed out, the difference lies in the fact that everyone knows what a movie ticket costs, so everyone is able to instantly say. Mm. Okay, I stole $300 from MoviePass this month, whereas no one is quite sure what a ride should cost. I mean, they know the price of gas, but other than that, it's, like, really pretty variable. And they're already used to saving on well, by using an Uber instead of using a cab if they're so inclined. I just think it's funny the way what people are able to get away with and what they're not. Well, that's a, that's a good point. So, I mean, maybe... Yeah, it's a good question because you, you're, you're absolutely right. Amazon, for instance, operated at a loss for, for a very long time. I mean, it doesn't now, but so, and I'm sure that's the case, as you say, with lots of companies. Uber being one, Uber is the most unprofitable company in history, isn't it? But maybe it's a problem of um, not the public perception, but this the kind of data, they, the data wasn't valuable enough or something. I mean, it's an interesting comparison that you're drawing because, you know, in a sense, MoviePass functioned almost as a, you know, a middle layer, right, between kind of the user 
in the actual service. Um, you know, and, and that lack of profitability, like you're saying, Simon, you know, that in a sense, they're kind of less evil um, than Uber or, you know, what was the other one, Amazon, where you're essentially kind of using these kind of, I'm using your ghost quotation marks, you can't see them, but like, you know, um, essentially disruptors, um, where you're essentially kind of perform, you're undertaking a race to the bottom as an end user to kind of save money and extract as much supposed value, again, air quotation marks, um, or ghost quotation marks, um, at the expense of like direct labor, right? Like there's someone who loses out because you get a cheaper ride with Uber. It's someone who's getting treated like shit. Um, whereas with MoviePass, like it seems like, you know, the, the person working in the movie theater is not going to feel the impact of right movie it's a victimless theater. crime yeah. unlike uber where we know cabbies are killing themselves literally like yeah. over what's happening in the industry well not only that but also you know if you've ever taken an uber and i'm guilty of this you know i talked to every uber driver i've ever had and they're not mostly happy <laughs> yeah you know they're like not always making a ton of money especially it's very regional obviously but um yeah, it's definitely kind of that's not victimless, right? Or like every time you get an Amazon Prime package, you've got blood on your hands. So then, like, why can't we just enjoy Movie Pass at a loss? Mm-hmm. If anyone wants to know the depths of Uber's evil, uh, we're never going to do an episode about it because it was too beautifully handled in the um, the, the podcast. The Dollop did an episode on Travis Kalanick, their founder. Um, mm. who has who did a whole string of like pre uber ventures that are really worth knowing about um anyway i'm not going to get into it just listen to their episode they did a fantastic job of going through all of it um yeah i think that that to me is the tragedy of movie pass that there was they were such beautiful morons you know <laughs> they subsidize the in the, the you know the the film watching habits of thousands and thousands of, of people and and maybe they were planning to do something evil with that, but it doesn't seem like it's ever going to take off. How do we save Movie Pass and bring it to Canada? <laughs> I feel like Mo- Movie Pass has to be part of the uh, fully automated luxury gay space communism platform. They'll bring back Movie Pass. We may want to do a whole episode on on what fully automated gay luxury space communism looks like at some point. Um, but this is not that episode. Um, any any final thoughts on MoviePass or on just sort of the, the app economy before we roll things up? Yeah, maybe in future we, we could talk about this, these definitions of communism and capitalism in reference to... Yeah, I mean, MoviePass seems like a good communist initiative, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, movies for the people, subsidized by... We don't know who. It's also re- in reference to, uh, what's his name, Doug Ford's Ontario. Doing some <laughs> communist things, in my opinion. But that's another conversation. <laughs> I don't know if we, we don't have time to unpack this, but um, I, I do want to highlight, I think, Rosemary, you pointed this out earlier in the episode, the idea that, like, if we all need to go see movies all the time, what is that kind of indicating? Um And, yeah, I, for one, you know, have long supported escapism um, because you know, life is great, but it's mostly shit. Um, And so if we can develop an alternative future where we can all just watch subsidized movies and kick back, that would be phenomenal. Okay. I endorse that. That's the, the hacks initiatives, optimistic view of our shared future, Uh, but only movies only with movies. Yeah.